0: Awaken to the Divine Within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org.
1: The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio,
2: an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by
1: spirit, with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome friends to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little bit deeper into life than you may do on your own. We hope to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds, the psychological and the spiritual world at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert here in the central Hudson Valley, New York with my dear friend, co-host and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg in California. Hello, Kelly. Hello. You're missing the perfect weather we're having here,
2: and I'm sorry you had to leave last week. Back, wow. back to the cold, icy East <laughs> Coast.
1: Okay, well, don't make it too dramatic. It's actually not too bad here. It's just <laughs> contemplative and gray and a little rainy. It's Okay. Um, so today I'm so ex- we're both so excited. This this could be, and we haven't even done the show yet. This could this could be our singular fa- singular favorite Once All Radio episode. No pressure to our guests before right. we've even started, but it's very <laughs> possible. Um, so today, as we continue our mini series, Spiritual Self Help Legends, we are going to celebrate our beloved teacher Ramdas, explorer of inner space, featuring his son Peter and daughter-in-law, Linda, for their first time ever interview together. So psychologist, psychonaut, spiritual teacher, philanthropist, and author of the groundbreaking book, Be Here Now, Ram Das has guided millions on their spiritual paths. And while he gifted us with countless recorded teachings, lectures, and books about his road to consciousness, less has been known about what Ramdas learned for the first time at age seventy eight which is that he had a fifty three year old son Peter Reichert. And in this very special One Soul Radio, we welcome Peter and his wife Linda, as I mentioned, for their very first joint interview to discuss the Ramdas, or RD as Peter likes to say, they came to know and love in his later years. We're going to share some stories about his profound influence on all of us and offer some action steps to channel the teachings of RD in a way that can enhance your spiritual practice and your everyday life. Wow. So, sounds like a good promise. Got I like have a lot to cover. I already think this needs to be a double show at least. I'm gu- I'm gonna to listen amazing. in on this one. <laughs> so we're just gonna set up really quickly and then we're really actually very keen to get to Linda and to Peter. Um so I think Steve, you talked about so Be Here Now was probably the most is the most seminal book that Ram Dass had had written, right? And you first read it in nineteen seventy one. Is that when you first I, I think, found your uh, way?
2: You have to imagine me with an afro and bell bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> carrying this book around day after day on the New York subway, going to NYU. <laughs> so that's when I first read it.
1: And I would gather, I'd venture to think that you probably weren't a very unusual vision back then. You probably weren't the only one that was doing that. Oh, uh, you would it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking like I am, um, we talked about this in our pre-production meeting. I was having a hard time remembering when I first was exposed to Ram Dass and the book because I feel like I came to it sort of as a late bloomer I kind of I grew up in the 70s as a teenager that was my formative years but I got um, you know when I it wasn't really until like my late 20s and 30s that my hippiedom came out sort of in a sort of in a delayed way. Um, And that's when I started learning. It was really a lot of it was a boyfriend that I was traveling with and doing my second chapter of drug experimentation as we were being globetrotters and fabulous bohemians. And um, reading a lot about the psychedelic experiments that um, at the time, Dr. Alpert and uh, Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna were all doing. Um, So that's, I think that was probably my first exposure. Um, But you also had access at Naropa, right? Which is the yeah I was, I living.
2: yeah I was living in Boulder and um Neuropa Institute, which is still ongoing, right It's a wonderful Buddhist kind of university and at the time, Ramdas and Trunkba Rinpoche were doing a course together on the Bhagavad Gita
1: He was a wild monk
2: he was the right. wild He's monk
1: a little bit of yeah
2: we can have a whole show on his exploits. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> what I wanted to say was, I was so interested in Ramdas because I was studying psychology at NYU, and simultaneously, I was doing psychedelics. And Ramdas came along and talked to me in Be Here Now and other books,
1: mm-hmm.
2: about the fact that psychedelics were just like a moment in time, a portal to awaken us to take the larger journey of spirituality, meditation, and self-realization. So he was really one of the first people who opened my mind to that possibility. Mm,
1: yeah, um, so this is what I kind of teased up. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to sort of skip a lot of the um, kind of timeline and biography of what people know of the yeah. nuts and bolts of, um, of Ram Dass' uh, life. Um, I did a psychedelic journey two weeks ago, as Steve knows, um, something I've been looking to do for a few years (laughs) and finally found the right guide. And um, as soon as I walked into the room where the um, journey was going to happen, I saw... um, uh, being Ram Dass, the Dass, the, the, his um, last most recent and final um, book, Autobiography, and um, Autobiography of a Yoga, of a Yogi, sorry, the Yogananda book that we featured last week. So I felt um, very deeply protected, you know, and I realized after the fact that probably in some way all the reading that I still actively do of Ram Dass um, on you know, a very frequent level um, might have helped me become more comfortable with this journey that I did because mm-hmm. I haven't been a recreational mm-hmm. drug user in decades. I haven't you know, done a journey in a proper guided way um, ever. And so I'm realizing now as I think about it and preparing for the show that in some way energetically, I think that all of that reading and that learning and that comfort actually supported me in some sort of a um, nebulous sort of way. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm sure it did. And on another show we're going to hear about your experience
1: we i'm happy to share it happy to share it i am. i am i'm a big proponent but not about me right now um i will say though at some point during uh the playlist where the guide was playing certain very predetermined um and intentional um soundtrack you know music that something came on and suddenly i heard moon sun stars and i realized it was ram das in his later years voice superimposed into this uh, or edited into this music and I was like ah so that was pretty cool that was a wonderful surprise Um, so I think it would be really nice for us to introduce our guests one more time right um, Peter Reichert and Linda Hyatt hailing from North Carolina. Um, each of you has done separate interviews, but no, nothing together. Um, and Linda, I don't even know if you've actually done interviews about Ramdas per se, like publicly, but um, we can hear about that. She's shaking her head no. Um, but anyway, number one, we want to welcome you. It is such a joy uh, and such an honor to have you. And we're so grateful that you've decided to join us today. So hello. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
1: So shall we start with just, um, Peter, why don't we go back to how you first met your dad? Um, because you were in your early 50s. And I, to the best of my knowledge, didn't know, you, you said you'd always felt different in your um, family that your adopted family or partially adopted family. Your mom was your biological mom that raised you and her husband, right? But you didn't know that you had um, a different father for many years? No,
0: for the vast majority of my life, I had no idea. In fact, I went from one day thinking that I was a seventh generation German American to finding out as a third generation Polish Jew. So that was sort of <laughs> a, a little bit of a head turner. Um, I had always known that I was different. I have actually two half brothers. Um, mm-hmm. We share the same mother. Um, but my father, who's will always be my father, and that's who I grew up with, had never really said anything about this my mother had not said anything and it wasn't until in my early 50s that I was introduced to my biological father and first time I saw a picture I realized that that's who I had favored all of my life looks and everything else so it was uh, it was it was truly an incredible experience and, and one that I I've treasured every day since then
1: Hmm. And you didn't know, right, your older brother, there was a little bit of a whisper in your family that it's possible that you had a different biological father. And I'm the
0: the oldest of the three. It's kind of interesting. I am, obviously, they are half brother. But between December and February, we are literally one, two and three, we are that close in age. So um, we've always been very, very close. But my middle brother had heard something about this and had written a letter to the Seba Foundation, um, to Ram Dass, and suggested that possibly his brother, me, was Ram Dass' son. And I suspect that Ram Dass had probably gotten a few of these along the way, and he was not thinking highly of it. And (laughs) Steve, as you know, Chuck Blitz, who is just a, a unique, unique human being, was at dinner with him and said, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Let me look online and see what I can find. And he found pictures of us and the similarity was incredible. And so he asked Ram Das or RD, if it was okay, if he reached out and he talked with my brother who had not said anything about this to me, that he'd done any of this. And my brother called and said, um, are you sitting down? And I Yes. And he said, I think you might have a different father. Hmm. I um, had never heard of Ram Das. So I had to actually Google and see who Ram Das was. <laughs> but I then saw the similarities. And I told my brother before we went any farther, I had to talk with my wife, Linda, about it and our daughter, Emily. So when Linda came home, I said, Well, I had a most unique experience today. And said uh, Lawrence told me that I have a different biological father and his name is Ram Das. and Linda, who has been a student of of spirituality and religion for many, many years. I think she was a little bit bowled over too with, with, because she knew who RD was. So that was, uh, that started us on our journey.
2: Linda, what was it like for you to hear that that might be a possibility?
3: Um, well, first I was, um, a little angry with, um, Peter's brother for doing this without our knowledge or permission or, um, because it was, you know, quite an upheaval for our daughter also. Um, and coming totally out of left field, it was just really hard to know how to feel about it. Mm. Um, I knew of Ram Dass very tangentially, I'm very involved in, um, I'm a Protestant and, and have been very involved in mainline um, church my whole entire life. So I had didn't know a lot about Hinduism, uh, probably knew a little bit more about Buddhism. But um, it was it, it just took a while to get over the anger and a while to um, it took meeting him to really begin to feel at ease about it and to uh, realize what a gift he was and could be for our family.
0: And he has been a gift mm. in so many different ways.
1: Mm. Mm.
3: It's just hard to know what to expect um, from such a personality. Um, mm. Being a small town, North Carolina girl, um, <laughs> you know, Peter is, is much more worldly than I am when I met him, but um, you know, I hang pretty good with super intelligent people, but this was, <laughs> this was something that was going to be quite different.
1: Mm. Was there any part of you, Linda, that also, um, given that you had been, um, a, a yogi and had had, um, an awareness of who Ramdas was, was there any part of you that was excited or kind of bowled over in a positive way, or was the initial reaction what you just described because you're, you're concerned about your family and just the reality of the Experience. Yeah, I
3: mean, the initial reaction was just, mm. just being totally nonplussed. And like I said, a little angry, but mm. uh, it was just, it was very hard to wrap my head around. Um, you know, of course, my yoga community, the few people that I shared it with were incredibly excited. And then later on, Ram Dass did do some um was it zoom then. I don't, I don't know what we were doing before. <laughs> zoom. But it was um, a live feed and, and uh, there were, you know, lots of us in a room and it, it meant a great deal to a lot of my friends, but um, it, ju- it took meeting him. It just took being with him um, in Maui to really kind of start to figure it all out for both my daughter and I, I don't, I don't know what Peter, how Peter, you know, came uh, to terms with it, but that's, that was our experience.
2: I
0: know, I as, as I shared with you yesterday, it mm-hmm. was uh, it was with some trepidation that I made my first journey to Maui, not really knowing who he was, and the uh, what was the name of the book again? The Harvard uh, psychedelic club. psychedelic club had just come out, and I read that on the way out there, and really wasn't quite sure what I was getting into, but that changed almost immediately after meeting him. So.
2: So what was that first experience like for you Peter and maybe you could also tell us what Ramdas's experience was like from your observation
0: so it was um, it, it was a little shocking a little incredible to think that I actually did have a different biological father than who I had grown mm-hmm. up with. Um, it was interesting. One time during my life with my father, he had gotten very, very angry at me, and he had said to me, "I don't even know if you are my son." And it was the only time in fifty some years he had ever, ever said anything. Huh. And he lived in Chicago, and I came home, and I said to Linda, "I said, well, here's what Dad said." And she said, "Well, you could always do a DNA test if you'd like." And I said, "Yeah, but."
3: Either, I said, would it make any difference? Yeah, the either
0: either no. he's going to be my father or he's not my father. And then I won't know what's going on. So then when I found out that Ram Dass or RD was my father, it sort of answered a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we then talked on the phone a couple of times and that was very nice. Then we had the DNA test done and that came back conclusive And then as um, I was approaching going out there, so this was October when we were first introduced to this idea that we might be related. And then it was January when I went out to Maui and I'll have to say, I was, I was wondering what the hell I was doing on this plane (laughs) going out there. (laughs) And especially after reading that book, because the book was not particularly flattering about Ram Dass and and some of the others in that group. But uh, like I said, the, the first meeting with him was, it, it was just so full of love and, and embracing. And I know he had to have some trepidation. As we talked yesterday, I mean, Ram Das always talked about not wanting to be burdened with family. It, it, right. it was an impediment to this journey that he was on. And as we talked yesterday, I think it was probably good for him and good for me and my family that we did not know each other many years before, because I think when we finally did know each other, he had gone so far into this journey. And then the fact that he had a son and a daughter-in-law and a granddaughter, especially, Mm. I think that was such an incredible gift for him. And he really, he lived that gift every time, every Mm. time we talked, every time we saw her. The pictures of them together is just unbelievable.
1: Do you, um, I remember reading uh, in the chapter where he wrote about meeting you that um, to the point you just made, he talked a lot about how he wasn't prepared for parental love, him as a parent, and yet, obviously highly evolved and highly connected to the idea of soul love with other humans and even his satsang, like his extended community and being a godfather to a lot of children around him, including Timothy Leary's kids. Um, do you remember the first time you felt a spark of love from him? And could you distinguish what kind of love it was? I know that's sort of a very interesting. amorphous interesting. thing to describe.
0: Um, I don't, I, it was interesting because as we got to know each other, R.D. was always very careful. I mean, he said, I'm your bio, dad. And he was always very respectful of the relationship that I had with my father. I think that he was so embracing of the entire family and the entire relationships that we had there. Uh, And I think that was very much sort of a fatherly love in many ways. Um, I, I like to think that he was proud of who I was and, and who my family was and things like that, which I think is a fatherly love. But I think that there was just, um, he and I were not, we were not spiritually connected. It was really much more of a familial sort of getting Mm -hmm. to know each other and awareness and things like that. I think a much more spiritual connection with Linda than with me, although that was a very strong familial connection as well. So I think that um, that really sort of defined our relationship. I think it was more of a fatherly love, son loving. I I have to say that I really did. I can say I really grew to love him as as a father, maybe not as a father, but as, a biological father. I mean, my mm. father, who I grew up with, was an incredible person, and I have always loved and respected him, too.
2: So, so Linda, he, I know that you met Ram Dass a few months after Peter did.
3: That's
1: correct.
2: And um, I'm very curious about your first meeting, and also from what Peter said, how that connection grew in a spiritual way
3: well um it was also very nerve-wracking for me to meet him the first time um all three of all three of us went together and i probably had you know four or five vodka sodas on the flight over <laughs> <laughs> and, and, xanax. and a xanax probably because i don't like to fly and that was over a lot of water um, <laughs> So uh, it was very um, scary and it was intimidating. I had no idea what to expect at all. Um, you know, Ram Dass is just love. I mean, he just, I mean, you can't not love him. I mean, there's just he's welcoming. He was very understanding of how difficult this probably was for us to be in this different environment. He was very careful with Emily, our daughter. His, um, you know, right-hand woman, Dasima, was just incredible. Um, everyone we met uh, were just so welcoming and trying to help us feel at ease. Mm. Um, I, it was a good first visit, but I don't think we felt super, super comfortable through that visit. I think it was afterwards. Uh, other visits, you know, where it just began to grow in, into, you know, familial love and, you know, he would call Peter's son, son, do this. Son. And it, it was, you know, it became, it became, became funny. Um, but he and I did have one-on-one sessions together.
2: Mm.
3: Um, and, um, you know, he counseled me on things to do that are still very hard for me to do. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, he's like a goal, you know, like, as far as being a spiritual person, he's like, you know, how I would like to live. I mean, I'm nowhere near that. Um, and, um, I certainly have not had the experiences that, that he has had. I have no interest in approaching it from the psychedelic, um, experience. Um, but being a very, um, churchy person and, and really finding strength in my faith, um, we connected on that level. I mean, he was very, um, I mean, he loved Jesus. I don't want to get churchy here, but he loved Jesus as much as I did. I mean, he, he saw, um, prophets and, and, um, similarities in all religions, which is is kind of where I, I was. Mm. So it was not uncomfortable. It was, um, I just didn't have enough time with him, sadly. Mm. Uh, Wish how, much, I had more opportunity. How, much,
2: how much time did you have with him
3: i think we had 10 years about oh. 10 years huh. and we went every year hmm. to see him but it was just once a year for a long time every sunday evening we did facetime um for a very for probably a year and got to know each other very well that way but um just it just wasn't enough time and the the distance and the time, but we did the best that we could.
0: I had an opportunity probably to go a little bit more. I uh, went out for different special occasions and my business takes me to China some. So Mm -hmm. coming back that way was easy.
1: Well, first of all, just so glad that you had, I know, I can't imagine it could never feel like enough time. And also so glad for you that you did have those 10 or so years um, for yourselves, and then also just to be able to share this with us. It's such a beautiful transmission in some way as a firsthand um, experience, just hearing you relaying these stories and knowing that you had such a deep, obviously, and familial you know, relationship with him. It's quite beautiful. I also think he... Um, Didn't he find his way, speaking of uh, religion, just to cap off what you were saying, Linda, didn't he find his way back to his Judaism later in life in a way that he um, hadn't before? And we just have about 30 seconds before we have to take our our break. If you'd like to just uh, share a little about that.
3: Yes, he did. I mean, um, he, I think he just found a whole new appreciation for it. I think coming to the realization that there's beauty and there's, um, there's a depth and there's something in all religions. And I think he appreciated, it was easy to appreciate what he had been exposed to as a young person and how that just all melds in together. It's Mm. all the same. I mean, it's all the same.
1: So when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Peter and Linda. And I think I'm going to tease up the fact that I want to hear about Peter's level of spirituality or lack thereof. We will be right back. (laughs)
0: All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hasenberg
1: and Kelly Appert. Welcome back, everyone. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. We are here talking, honoring Ram Dass, and we are here with his biological son, Peter Reichardt, and his wife, Linda Hyatt, talking about how they met Ramdas in his, well, Peter in your early 50s and Ramdas in his later um, 70s, and just about the um, 10 magical years that you did have together getting to know each other from... Um, from the start. So before the break, we were starting to talk about. Um, we were hearing a little bit about Linda's relationship with um, spirituality and her belief system, and some of the conversations that she had with Ramdas, her dad-in-law. Uh, and then Peter, you've you've called yourself a self-described not like not spiritual guy, right? Is that a fair? That, that, still, may, that, you-
0: that may be a little harsh. I uh, <laughs> I um, I grew up in a family that really was not a church-going family in any respect. My, my mother's mother was a very devout Catholic and used to spirit us off to Catholic mass whenever we'd visit her, but otherwise really never grew up in a church. And in high school, my father was invited to come speak to a Quaker meeting, an unprogrammed meeting where they would invite people in to speak, and then you'd have your silent worship. And I was really, I was sort of called to that. And it was mostly the tenet that there is a peace of God in every person. And I really, that, that, that resonated with me. And uh, I ended up, I went to a, a Quaker college here in Greensboro, Guilford College, and uh, have been a Quaker ever since. I am a trailing spouse so i've gone to the presbyterian church with like, no, 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 no the methodist church with, <laughs> me, she is presbyterian but I've no, gone,
3: no, I'm not presbyterian. anyway
0: she's gone i've been a trailing spouse forgive me um but uh i i don't seek spirituality i don't i, I am not as inquisitive about it as i might like to be i am uh I'm lazy in that area. There's, there's so many other things. I am very, very political. I'm very tuned into community, people, things like that. So I think while I am very strong in that area, I am a little weaker in the spirituality side. Thus, I am so very fortunate to have a wife who is much, much deeper into it and really helps to guide me in a lot of ways at times.
2: Linda said something. Oh, before I say that, for those of you that can't see us, which is everybody,
1: <laughs> right now, until we'll, we'll post this on YouTube after.
2: I'm looking at Peter, and there is a definite and distinct resemblance mm. to a younger Ramdas. Mm. So that connection is there. Um, during the break, uh, Linda was talking about um, Ramdas. Uh, saying that he had one incarnation left and it'd be very curious to hear about that conversation you had with him.
3: Well, it was probably one of the very first one-on-ones I had with him um, early on. And I had come prepared to talk about, I knew he in his later years had really moved into working with the dying and death and um. What happens after death, and, and helping um, more um, normalize uh, this thing that no one can can escape. Um, so, my uh, seminal event in my childhood was my mother dying when I was six or seven, and never not having any memories of her, and really um, that's affected my whole my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I was talking with him about how can I connect? Did he feel like it was possible for me to connect with her spiritually? And so we were talking about that and, um, somehow it just segued into, you know, what happens after we go. And he talked about, he felt like he had one more incarnation because he didn't have it quite right. Um, in this, in this incarnation and, um, you know, that was a pretty stunning statement. If he has one more, I hate to think how many I probably have. But... <laughs> but did I, I, you said he had mentioned it. He did talk oh, about he, that.
0: He, he did talk about that. He was very, very clear. I, I will say that R.D. was very... Um, he was very strong in his beliefs and everything, but he was also a, a, a humble... A a Mm -hmm. self-deprecating person too Mm -hmm. and I think when we
3: knew him yes yeah yeah,
0: how he was earlier I I don't know but at that point and so I think the concept that he he truly believed that he was not there yet and I think it I often thought in fact I used to tell him I said you know RD regardless of what people say to you all the time I know you put your pants on one leg at a time just like everybody Mm -hmm. else in the world because I think that so many people, and you could see it, I would see it, they became a different person around him. And they 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 in some ways even fawned over him and things like that. But he did seem to really keep a well-grounded place for himself and was again humble and, and self-deprecating in so many ways. And I think that was embodied in that statement that I'm not there yet I still have at least one more incarnation mm. to
3: and plus working in the area of death and dying I mean you you can't help but pe- be humble um, uh, because we all come in the same way and we're all going to go out the same way and uh, it's, it's kind of what you do in between um, that that matters but he was but he was very accepting and understanding of people's devotion to him And, um, never pushed anyone away that I ever saw, you know, we would go out and have pizza at his favorite pizza place in now paella. Um, and you know, he would often be, uh, people would come up and, and say what a difference he'd made in their lives. And he just accepted it and thanked them and, you know, ate his pizza.
1: I feel like I remember, um, it may have been, um, in the documentary, Fierce Grace, but I might be off about this, where he says that right after his stroke, he didn't have one or while his stroke was happening, he didn't have one spiritual thought. Exactly, mm, And that, that, that right. was, and that was also sort of what in, um, in looking in the rear view mirror later on in his years, he could understand why he still stayed on earth for so much longer after that. Right. So, um. I was curious, though, and just as a follow up question to what you just said about him um, feeling like he had one incarnation left. Did he talk about what it was he needed or wanted to learn or sensed he would have to learn? He did it to me.
0: Um, I don't think he really ever talked about what he needed to learn. I just think he felt the journey was not complete. mm -hmm. But you talk about his stroke. I think that stroke so completely and totally changed how he approached the world and spirituality and himself I think that was such a seminal time for him you know it's not like he had a bunch of strokes or anything else that one you know, the fact that he survived and how he came back I just think, it created a completely new journey that he spent time on for the balance of his life.
3: I and mean, that's why I called it fierce grace. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely was a very fierce grace, but the fact that he was able to coin it as grace yeah. is, um, you know, amazing. I don't, I don't think I could have, but.
2: I saw him after that, maybe two, three years after the stroke. And he had come to Los Angeles to give a talk. And I tried to get to every talk he ever gave. I think I did pretty well. But he was on the stage, needed help sitting. And it was the mo- one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And it was because we were all, there we were maybe 400 people in the audience. He was having a very difficult time enunciating. And yet at the same time, we all, our compassion was just rising and rising and flowing toward him. And we were just hanging on every word. And he was moving through it. And the whole thing was just almost like an explosion of holy energy.
1: Mm, beautiful. You know, so,
0: I, I'm sorry. Ahead, Peter. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted.
2: No. So the for me, this beauty of Ram Dass has always been his extraordinary vulnerability. He could have been very arrogant. He had so many followers. He had books. He had extreme intellect extreme articulation mm-hmm. and yet he was always willing to talk about what was wrong with him where he feel where he failed and that day that evening was the testimony for me
1: mm-hmm.
2: of the beauty of his vulnerability and gave all of us the sense of just be vulnerable just be real and that reality caused an up Kind of an uprising of people's love and tenderness toward him.
0: He talked a lot about um, after his stroke, those first few years afterwards, when he stayed in California and he was still traveling and, and, and trying to live the life that he had lived, it was very unhealthy for him. And, mm-hmm. and finally, a group got together and, and really told him, if mm. you plan to be here for a while, you need to go someplace. And he was very fortunate that the home he found in, in Maui was really able to accommodate him, the helpers he had, and then also a small cabin there. Because the other thing is, is while he didn't travel and tire himself that way, his schedule was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, it was every day Mm. he had either an interview and Mm. likely he would have an interview with somebody from somewhere in the world. He would have online Skype meetings with people. He would have people flying in and staying in the cabin and they would be doing retreats with him. Mm. He had the most unbelievable schedule. And in fact, whenever we would go visit, we would have to work with Dasi Ma, who was really his secretary, to say, okay, when can we fit in a time with him? And it, it was phenomenal, the work ethic that he took to the end there.
2: Beautiful. Yes, yeah,
0: sure, she was much more than a secretary, but she provided that secretarial support of mm-hmm. scheduling. She was actually much more than that. She was the general. She basically <laughs> would say... RD enough's enough. And <laughs> would rarely ever get mad at anything, but occasionally you have to say, Ma, leave me alone or something like that. So. Mm.
1: Do you think that any of that besides whatever ethic um, work ethic he had and connection to his, um, hyper, like, uh, working? Cause he, early on in his um, career, he talked a lot about how it was all about striving and achieving and proving and acquiring. Do you think it was more about that? Or do you think that maybe there's also a piece of mortality in there of really wanting to get more done and more out and help potentially save more souls while he was still able to do it? Do you ever hmm. think about it? First,
3: I personally think it was the latter. Yeah. Um, I think he felt very keenly his work uh, was reaching as many people as he could. And, 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 um, Saving as many souls as he could, like you said, just helping people along this, learning from his journey, from his path. Um, Because, I mean, obviously he knew he wouldn't be around forever, but I don't think it was based on any additional achievements or 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 any other accolade or Mm -hmm. award or or anything at all, you know, by the time that we knew him.
0: No, the only thing I would add is I think it also it gave him a sense of worth. I think Mm -hmm. were he not doing that, Mm -hmm. I don't know that he would have lived as long as he did. Mm -hmm. I just think that Mm -hmm. that's what kept him going every day. And, you know, ultimately it was um, an infection that finally got to him. And that was a reoccurring issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that it really gave him a sense of, this is why I'm going to be here tomorrow. This is why I'm going to be here the next day. And the great other part of that was that every day he was touching people in so many different ways. I mean, he was writing books with uh, Ramesh. I mean, all the way up until the end, there mm. he published a book like mm-hmm. three months before he passed away. So he really was working hard.
1: I have it right behind my setup over here, but I don't want to <laughs> yeah. don't want to knock anything around right now. But yeah, yeah.
2: So how close are we to? So,
1: so I think before we get, I had one other yeah. question I'd yeah. like to ask, and then we're going to offer our listeners a very special version of our action steps today that are sort of collective Um thanks to uh, Linda and Peter's contribution. So we'll get to those in a minute, and they have to do with some of his um, RD's favorite quotes that resonate for all of us. Um, I'm curious what he's been, um, he, he left his body in December of, two, of 2019, so it's been less than two and a half years by the time this sh- well, the show's broadcasting, obviously, now, but um, just as a sense of time and place. What's your relationship with him, uh, with him like right now? Assuming there is one,
3: I mean, I still feel very close to him. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel his presence um we probably have more photos of him around our house now than ever. I mean it's just like we want them near us um, and uh you know he sent Emily early on you know some things for a, a puja table um you know i've all, I've had a puja t- i mean I, an altar a puja table for a while, but um I mean, I think about him a lot. I mean, I, I don't because he was in Maui and I didn't see him. He doesn't feel like he's that far away from me. Um, I know I, I can't pick up the phone and talk to him, but I do love following what they're doing in Maui at the house. Um, it's I can, we can't wait to go back and visit there um, hopefully next year. But it keeps him close and hearing from Dasima and, and all the folks there it you know I don't I know he's left his body but it doesn't really feel like that to me um I don't know how it feels for you
0: he's a part of every day um through this relationship I gained a whole new family of cousins and uncles and aunts across the country and so I do have interaction with them but it was interesting um I had a lot of mementos, historical mementos of my father's family, the, the the father I grew up with. And I felt a little guilty having those after a while, knowing that he really wasn't my father. And I asked my brothers which one of those they might like. And, you know, I, I've kept a lot of them, but I've also replaced them with a lot of really great mementos of, of, of R.D. Mm. Um, I was given... His father had a wonderful farm up in uh, New, Hampshire. New Hampshire. And uh, it had a lake and everything. And and it, it was called Will and Ricka. William, for the first son, Leonard oh. for the second son, and Ricka, Richard for the third. Uh,
3: and a for Albert.
0: Yeah, and A for Albert. Yeah. So it's, it was called Will and Ricka. And I have this beautiful piece of wood that was That's on funny. the back of the boat. It was called Will and Ricka, too. And so there's just great mementos like that and great pictures of him. And um, anyway, so yeah, every day there's something that tweaks it or somebody will ask me about him and say, you know, tell me this or that or whatever. So it's a gift that keeps on giving.
1: <laughs> God bless. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you you both shared and, and these overlap with um, Steve and, um, and, and myself too, in terms of some of our favorite RD quotes, sayings that you've offered up. So I figured um, what we could do for our action steps and we would close out the show in our remaining minutes is go through three of them. And then we can go around and just talk about what they mean to us and any suggestions for how our listeners can ground them or implement them into their daily lives if, if something comes to mind. So um, Linda, you talked about I am loving awareness mm-hmm. as one that's sort of a mantra for you that you share that you use pretty regularly. What does that do for you, and what do you think it could do for people to adopt that?
3: Ram Das was very clear with me about that. Um, mm-hmm. That that would be a good mantra just to repeat. Um, I mean, he would use it all the time, and I, I'm mm-hmm. sure when he was using his prayer prayer beads, that was part of what he was doing. Um, I am a, a very opinionated person and po- very political as well, so as I was saying, it's, it's, you know, he saw people as souls. And so I think using that mantra can help when you're, you know, very annoyed, um, you know, about a Supreme court hearing for, you know, uh, hearing, for example. For example, or, um, you know, anything in your life, just to repeat that to yourself, because you really aren't that angry you really don't want to be that person. You really do want to see people soul to soul. And you, I mean, loving awareness, um, you know, that's two things, loving and awareness. I mean, just to be aware, just to, to be in the moment, just to be here right now, you know, to coin his phrase um, is, is the work, is the work. And it's very, very hard <laughs> for me um, to do, but it is, he encouraged me to say that any time that i felt um out of sorts angry unsure scared um so i hear him saying it a
1: lot beautiful I am loving awareness. I definitely can relate to that as something that it's great to be reminded that that's something to bring in, in the moment when you have to be around people that might be more difficult or when you're feeling insecure, or uncomfortable with a situation. So um, that's, that's beautiful. Peter, I, anything for you or Steve, go ahead.
2: Yeah. For me, um, going on what Linda said, it's also interesting to think about everybody else is also loving awareness even though they're not aware of it. So our personalities kind of obscure the fact that on a deeper, holy level, we're all loving awareness. And it's wonderful to keep that in our hearts.
1: Exactly. Really helpful. Um, Secondly, Peter, the one that you had uh, shared, which I just love so beautiful, is that we are all just walking each other home. What does that mean to you? And what did you learn around that quote?
0: I think RD and I share a couple of traits. I mean, it's been a real interesting sort of journey of nature versus nurture. And on the nature side, I think he and I both meet people very easily, very relaxed. I think there's an empathy for people. Um, I think I have an ability to Going back to love and awareness, sort of seeing people where they are and sort of what, and that's something that's taken me time to do. But what I love so much about that is just trying to meet people where they are in life and understand that if they're angry, if they're scared, if they're happy. You know, it's it's not necessarily just me, but they they are a neighbor. We're all neighbors out here. And you know, it's it's the more we can understand that and love that and appreciate it and live it, I think the better we all are.
1: Beautiful. I've actually, I love hearing your, um, your interpretation of that too, because I've thought about it more in the, in terms of home meaning when we return to our divinity after we leave this place, which actually, um, leads us to the, to the next one. So, um, but that's a beautiful, very grounded, um, and, uh, yeah, just very, um, loving and pragmatic way to look at it. I think that's really beautiful. Um, and then finally the, uh, love, serve and remember. Right, the three pieces that are kind of at the bottom line in RD's mind of what we're here to do, um, and this is the one that I probably resonate with the most. You know, the the Steve and I talk about this a lot. Um, love, self-explanatory, and in, in different kinds of ways that we can find love for other people and also for ourselves. I think that's one that we often forget to serve and be of service. And the remember to me is um, probably what I spend most of my time being with thinking about meditating on inter- in the interpretation of returning to our highest, most um, sort of divine essence, whether living here in these bodies, or when we leave, just the idea of being connected to a higher consciousness that's not stuck in our egos. That's how I've always sort of interpreted it. How do you all connect with this one?
3: I just remember Ramdas, you know, that was his instruction for Maharaji, you know, mm. was to um, love everyone, serve everybody and remember God. Um, so, mm. I mean, uh, I think that's probably and, you know, if you if you look at God or the divine as the essence of of who you are, I mean, that that is where you came from. And that is where you're going to go back to just um, you are that you are that already. You, you don't have to seek that somewhere else, um, in a building, you know, uh, it's just, you, you are that. So just remember, remember who you are. Just. That's where you came from. And I
0: think it resonates for me going back to my Quaker faith, Mm. that, that there is that peace of God in everybody. And it is, uh, you know, the Quakers is much about service. Um, you know, love thy neighbors, which is attended across sort of all religions, but um, it, that 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 he as as Linda said, that was something that he shared with us a lot.
1: Quickly, one final question to that point: Does Emily resonate with these quotes? Your daughter, who's now what about twenty-ish, early twenties? She's
3: twenty-seven. Okay, um, we have um, about
1: a minute to go. Yeah,
3: I know we have just about a minute. Um, <laughs> Emily was brought up in a Protestant church, very important to me. And I shared with you a little bit yesterday about our, how dysfunctional, you know, I feel that that whole environment is, and she was the victim of a lot of that as well. So at 27, she is finding her way. Mm -hmm. And I think she adores Ram Dass as her grandfather. She misses him. She talks about him a lot. And I think she will come
1: to that um, as she matures.
0: I think at 37, she will be
1: much deeper into it. <laughs> 10 years from now. Well, I think I'm probably going to explode from tears of joy as soon as we say goodbye to each other. Thank you both. Blessings for carrying on these stories, this legacy, and thank for joining us. Such a such a gift to meet you and to have you join us today. We want to thank everybody um, who's a Once All Radio fan and listener, and we will see you soon. Thanks, everybody.